So the Bible reading today is from Revelations. You'll find it uh, on page 1237 of the Bibles in front of you, and it's Revelations 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. We're now going to read Revelation 3, 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put in your eyes so you can see. Those who I love are rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who's victorious, I will give you the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Is on. Is my clicker there? Oh, there it is. Thank you. <laughs> we did something different at eight o'clock, and we took the front row of seats out. So anyway, don't worry. It's my problem, and I've solved it. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We can be here this morning, 
And Father, as we come to the end of this Burning Heart series, I pray may your spirit burn in our hearts today. May we hear you speaking to us. And Father, may we come to you with humble and thankful hearts and rededicate our lives to you this day. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, here we are. It's the final week of the Burning Heart series. I don't know how you have experienced the journey that we've been on. I've heard lots of positive comments from people. Um, And let me just say, I have greatly enjoyed being at the centre of this and preaching and doing the reading. And typically, you'll get a tenth of what I've read. Uh, And I sit at home on Saturdays. Yep, gone, gone. Trying to get it down to keep on time. And it's been... A joyous journey though, reflecting on the scriptures and particularly on history and how God has worked. And what I want to do today is do a number of things, but it's really focused on trying to wrap the series up and give us an opportunity together as a church to respond to God, regardless of where we are. It is Commitment Day and historically we have committed ourselves financially but I wanted to give an opportunity for everyone to, in a sense, recommit themselves spiritually and you might be just sailing with the Lord, great. Uh, You may not know the Lord and for everyone in between, today is a day to come before Him and to say, I am yours. And at the end of the service, uh, end of my message, um, we're going to invite people to come up to the communion railing and to just pray and when I say everyone I do mean everyone to have an opportunity just to do business with God wherever you're at whether you're working walking well or not walking well that all of us can come and actually spend some time dedicating our life again to the service of our Lord and what I want to do in the service uh, sorry in the sermon um, as I think about the passage we've had, which really is a call to life, is to just ask us three separate questions to try and wrap this series up. And the first question is this, and I'm going to take us back to where we started the series five weeks ago uh, at the end of the school holidays, which was the question about godly discontentment. And my question for us is today, having gone through the series, do you have a godly discontentment about where you're at or where the church is at? And I shared back then the burden that is on my heart that we be a centre, a church, a fellowship that is alive in Christ. And God is working powerfully in us. Now there's no doubt God is at work in us. And if you're here Wednesday night, uh, it was a fantastic night of celebrating, I think probably our best dinner we've had. And there was incredible stories from across the range of the way God is working in our lives. But yet, I want more. And I want this place to be known in the community as a place where God is just working powerfully to totally transform lives through the gospel. And so I'm burdened deeply and I've got a godly discontent that we would be just alive in Christ. And when I took us back to that beginning of the uh, series, Burning Hearts, I spoke from Psalm 85 I'm just going to give you that verse. Will you not revive us again, the psalmist praised, that your people may rejoice in you? And the word revive means to come alive in Christ. May we be alive in Him. And at the heart of revivals has been godly men and women seeking God desperately in prayer, with a deep burden on their heart, not content with how things are, and crying out to Him, saying, come down and revive us, bring us to life, Lord. 
Now, what I've done in the series is give us an example from history of revivals that have taken place. And I've typically done that at the end of the sermon. I'm actually going to start with the history example this week. Um, And it's a fantastic story. Who knows about the great revival that took place in the Hebrides up in Scotland in 1949, post-World War II? Anyone know about it? few people. Um, If you don't know the Hebrides, it's not the New Hebrides, uh, which is in the Pacific Island, it's the Old Hebrides, you could say, Um, and it's up in the northwest part of Scotland. There are a group of islands off the coast there. And what took place there was remarkable, and it went on for three years. The church was completely dead. There were no young people going along at all, just a group of old people and a minister. And it wasn't through the minister that the revival, in a sense, came. It was through two godly women. Now, they were sisters aged 84 and 82. Their names were Peggy and Christine Smith. One was completely blind. And God had just put on their hearts a burden, a godly discontent for how things were. And it drove them to their knees in prayer. And when I say pray, um, they would pray twice a week for six hours. They would often start after dinner and not finish till the early hours of the morning. After praying for five weeks, they invited some of the elders of the church to come and join them along with the minister. Now, I won't give you all of the story. There's a 15-word essay on this that I read, written by the minister who got called to come. But the movement began with these ladies praying. And a minister got called in to come and evangelise the parish. And what can only be described as an incredible work of God, and he says the power of God just came down on their island and their village such that people were just under conviction from God about their sin without even coming into church. He arrived upon being summoned on the ferry at about nine o'clock at night and they said, can you please come and address us at church? He was thinking he was going to go home and have some supper and go to bed. He didn't get away from the church till one or two that morning as hundreds turned up both in and outside the church and a great revival took place. The, crowd, the churches were crowded with people who were seeking God. Prayer meetings popped up spontaneously all over the parish. And there were just literally hundreds of people in the area who were under conviction of God. Here's some of the stories. Uh, there was a hard-drinking man who said to his wife at night he was going to go out. She thought he was going to go to the pub and get drunk. He said, no, in fact, I think tonight's the last night I'm going to drink. I'm going to go and get my life sorted out with God. And he went to church. Hardened fishermen were found weeping behind their boats over their sins, pleading for mercy from God. The places of partying were closed down because all the young adults got converted and none of them turned up there anymore. They just wanted to go to church and study the Bible and witness. And it lasted for three years. And it started with these two godly women who just had this deep burden for the spiritual well-being of the island. And they prayed. And friends, we live here in a wonderful place. 
One of the sobering things for me is when I'm on holidays and I happen to be in Manly, which I try and avoid because I try and get away, and I see how many people are not here. The thousands who don't know Christ. And my prayer is that we would be just on fire for him and that the Spirit would fall in such a powerful way that literally hundreds would be drawn in. I want to ask you the question, do you have a godly discontent for yourself and St Matthews that drives you to pray? There's a little church there. God worked a great miracle of revival in the Hebrides in 1949. Well, the second question I've got is this, how has Jesus been speaking to you in the series? As we have gone through the series, we've looked at various topics. And I want to ask the simple question, how is God, how is the Lord Jesus speaking to your heart? What is he saying to you? If you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to open up to Revelation chapter 2 and 3. It's page 1237. We had the beginning reading and the, second and the end of chapters 2 and 3. For those who are not familiar with Revelation, it's often a book that Christians avoid. And the reason is, it's got kind of weird and wonderful um, imagery in it that people often think, what on earth is going on? Dragons, demons, talking animals, all sorts of things. And there's no doubt that the imagery which was completely understandable to the people in that day is difficult for us in this day to understand. And people tend to think of it as a word that's predictive about the end of the world and the return of Jesus. It does speak strongly about his return. What it is, though, at heart, it's a word from the Lord Jesus to the church. And it's a challenge and a call from the Lord Jesus to persevere. And there's one simple question, if you want to sum up the whole book of Revelation, is this. Who will you worship? Is the, the baseline question. And it's a very good question to ask of ourselves. Uh, the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John. When you read chapter 1, you find him on the island of Patmos. He was exiled there because of his faith. He was a religious, uh, if I can say, prisoner. Exiled because of his testimony to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus comes in a vision. And it's a most remarkable vision. It's the one time you see Jesus speaking openly and clearly about who he is his self-description, and it's of this magnificent king who is the amen, the beginning and the end, the one who is once dead but is now alive. And he walks among the churches. And John has this vision of Jesus walking amongst the churches and speaking to them. And I thought it's a great way to finish this series to have Jesus address us as we hear the way he spoke to the churches back then. Now, when you go through chapters 2 and 3, as he speaks to the churches, there's seven churches that are mentioned. A couple of them we are familiar with. Ephesus, uh, one of the great churches in Revelation. Laodicea was also attached to the church plant at Colossae. Uh, but the others, Thyatira, Pergamon, we're not familiar with. Smyrna, etc., and there were other churches that we do know of that weren't mentioned, but it's from this region in what is modern-day Turkey that you've got these churches and some are doing well and some are not doing well and he addresses them and speaks to them. And it's this call to life. 
And what I'm going to give you is an executive summary of his word to all seven, rather than look at one individually, because there's a real sense seven is, in that day and age, the universal number, and it speaks of the universal condition of the church. And what you find there is, in this culture that was... um, completely anti-Christian. It wasn't godless in the sense they had lots of gods, very religious but they were very anti-Christian because the Christians would not acknowledge the gods and in particular Caesar. And so to follow Jesus meant you were typically a minority, it often resulted in facing significant persecution, some were standing up to the heat and to the challenge and refused to buckle but others were wilting in the heat. And when you read through the seven letters Jesus commends them as much as he can and there's two out of the five which get a unqualified commendation which is a wonderful thing and he says some of you are working hard and persevering for me some of you are holding on to the truth some are refusing to give in some are enduring through poverty and tough times and one of the things was if you're a Christian and you were persecuted often it meant you were socially isolated which meant that you were economically challenged as you were literally cut out of the business because your social ties got cut. The church at Philadelphia, church number six, I think that's exactly what's taking place. And some were enduring, even though they were facing severe persecution, including some being put to death. And there's no doubt there were waves of persecution that swept through the Roman Empire in the first three centuries, including this one. And to these Christians, Jesus says the following, do not be afraid of what you're going through. He keeps saying that, do not be afraid. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the victor's crown. To the church in Philadelphia who were faithful and poor, he says, hold on, I'm coming soon, I will reward you, hold on. And he would say the same to any of us here today, who are faithfully seeking to serve him, hold on, persevere, don't give up, because I am with you and I will reward you, hold on. But numbers of the churches and the Christians were not doing well. It's worth noting that it is roughly the 90s. These churches were typically planted in the 40s and 50s. And so what's taken place is 40 or 50 years of ministry. It's interesting if you went back to roughly 1979, you'd be talking about the same gap of ministry. And you just think about the changes that have taken place here at St Matthews over that period of time. Generations have come and gone. The first generation to hear the gospel, many of them may be dead now, many of them old. And it's second and third generation Christianity that is now being lived out in these churches. And as I said, some are doing well, but some are not. And that's typical of what you have when you have generational Christianity. Every generation needs to, in a sense, rediscover the gospel for themselves and have their own encounter with Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you look at the church at Ephesus, uh, they're commended for their hard work, but there's this damning critique that says, actually, you've lost your first love. And I take it what he means by that is the greatest commandment is to love God and he says you've you've actually lost that. You do not love us, you do not love me, the Father, the Son anymore. 
And there's a very strong call to repent there and this very strong warning to the church at Ephesus that if they don't repent, he will take their candlestick from them, which symbolically is meaning he's going to withdraw his presence. Let me just say, it's one of the scariest things that you can experience. A church that meets, but Jesus has actually withdrawn his presence from them. And I've seen that happen and these churches just slowly die. They're caught up in religion and tradition and there is no spiritual life and he says you've lost your first love to the church at sardis he has this sobering rebuke he says i know your deeds you have a reputation of being alive imagine being in that church those who you met with from other churches they say oh you're from the church at sardis i hear you're a great church you're alive how wonderful. And I say that because it's one of the things that always scares me when people talk about St. Matthew's. I think we have lots of problems. And he says to them, you've got a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. In other words, you've started with Christ, but you are not finishing with him. Remember, therefore, what you received and heard. In other words, how you started the race with the Lord Jesus. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I'll be coming to you. It is a sobering rebuke. And then the second reading we had today from Chris is the famous one, the church at Laodicea. And if you don't know a lot about that church, let me give you a bit of background. Um, one of the issues they had from a town point of view was their water supply. It came from out of town, it was piped in and it was hot springs and by the time it got there, it was this kind of tepid warm water. Uh, it had impurities, it didn't taste nice, the locals got used to it but if you came as a visitor, when you tried the water, you would take it in and you would spit it out because it was neither hot nor cold. And Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. One of the impacts of the secularisation of our society in Australia, here in Manly, is it just dulls our edge it makes us go lukewarm in our faith go and meet people who are Christians in countries under persecution where their livelihood depends on Jesus and you'll encounter Christians who are on fire for him as they put their life literally on the line day by day I remember meeting a man from Algeria who was converted miraculously and came to Australia and he said, you know, it's very difficult being a Christian here in Australia. He said, back home, everything was either black or white. You are either for Christ and on fire for him or you're a Muslim. He said, there's no in-between. He said, when I came here to Australia, everything is shades of grey. And you can't help but hear the words of the Lord Jesus here to the Laodicean church. 
because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. If I could sum up these two chapters this way, I'd do it this way. The call of the gospel is to any and every generation to discover Christ for themselves and to live for him wholeheartedly, no matter what the cost. And he calls us to know him, to love him and to serve him in the world. And when we do that under the pressure of tough times and difficult circumstances and painful opposition, he says, keep going, hold on, I am with you. You will be rewarded. But for some, the journey gets too tough, too long, too hard, too grey. And we start to stray, we start to forget, we start to wilt under the never-ending pressure of opposition and the secularisation of the godless society we're in. And we stop living in a way that Jesus calls us to. And whenever that is the case, the call of the Lord Jesus is to repent. And revival is a period when the Holy Spirit comes intensely to do a number of things. One is to convict us of where we stand under God and whether we really have hold of Christ and are living for Him. And when these seven letters are finished, you get this incredibly powerful, telling word from Jesus. And I want to hear us as a word to us today. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And he is doing this completely out of love, addressing the churches. He loves them. He's died for them. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. And five out of the seven churches, he has to call them to repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. You might wonder why the door's up here. Now, for those who were here a number of years ago, we had a door as well. A couple of my staff members think it's got magical powers. It's been repainted. But this is the image. I stand at the door and knock. Can I come in? And what is so striking is that the church is the body of Christ. They're his people. And he's standing on the outside knocking, asking, can he actually come into his own church? Because obviously he's been left out. And they're famous words. I want to ask a very simple question. How has Jesus been speaking to you this commitment series? And it may be in a range of ways. It may be that you're someone who's been filled with doubt and it's to come to him. It may be that you've been asleep and you need to wake up. It may be that you're wayward and you need to return. It may be that you're rebellious and you just need to Give up whatever it is. It may be to the nominal of faith to come alive in Christ. And it may be that you've been walking faithfully with him. And it's just to keep praying that God would come and convict many people and bring revival. But here's the thing. The Jesus who stands at the door and knocks is the risen Lord Jesus. He is the Alpha and Omega, he's the beginning and the end and we cannot escape him, we cannot beat him, we cannot elude him and one day we'll meet him. And he stands at the door and he knocks and he says, can I come in?
And I just want to ask the third simple question, which is this. How do you need to respond to Jesus this day? And I know there's, there's Christians here who are walking faithfully on fire for him. And I want to encourage you, your response should be one of godly discontent. Just to come and seek the Lord again in prayer for yourself and for others. But there'll be others here who you need to recommit your life this day. You need to come to him. You need, you've got issues you need to sort out. I don't know what it is. Whether it's relationship issues, greed issues, sexual immorality issues, anger issues, just commitment issues. But I want to invite you to deal with them today and respond to Jesus. Over the six weeks I've been asking the question, what would revival look like if it took place here in Manly, here at St Matthew's? And I imagine the following. There would just be this great sense of joy when we gather. The people would be beating the doors down to get here. I know of a church in South Africa where a great revival took place and the services were so packed they had to close the doors and tell people to come back two hours later for the next one. And if revival took place, there would just be a joy here that would be like we were touching heaven. There would be a holiness and purity of life because the Spirit of God would come and convict people to be transparent and open and repentant. And stubborn and long-held sins would be done away with. Pride, greed, anger, bitterness, immorality, to name a few, would be repented of. And you would just see story after story of people whose lives are transformed and you see there would be such an incredible work of God and people so changed in who they were that people would just be drawn here to find out. Relationships that are broken, marriages that are on the rocks would be reconciled and love would just be the defining feature of our fellowship. Love, grace and truth. And the Word of God would just be alive in our fellowship. Small groups would be multiplying. Scott would be overwhelmed with people offering to lead and start groups. And there'd be stories every week of people coming to faith from broken, rebellious, faraway lifestyles. And to keep up with the growth, we'd have to plant new churches because we're bursting at the seams. And there would just be this deep sense that God has visited us in a very powerful way. Friends, this is the last message in the series. As the psalmist said, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? I'm going to invite us to come forward and to just have some time to pray and seek God ourselves. And you might come forward because of a real burden of godly discontent for yourself, for the church, for Manly. Come forward and bring that burden to God and seek Him. Maybe for people who seek the kingdom of God to come here in power. You might be coming forward because you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. 
you might be coming forward because you need to come to the Lord for the first time. But I invite everyone here to actually come forward. What we're going to do is I'm going to invite prayer partners to come up. And they're actually going to come and pray because I want to go up and pray. I've got things I need to do business with, things I'm not happy with my own life in, things I'm burdened by, and so I absolutely want to pray. And then we're going to just be in the sanctuary area behind and I'm going to invite people to come forward. And if you'd like someone to pray with you, just put your hand up and the prayer partners would love to pray for you. But if you just want some quiet, you can have some quiet. Let me invite the prayer partners to come forward and they're going to come up to the prayer railing in the communion area. You don't need to go through the door this time. That was for Jesus to come through.